tonight on Unsolved Mysteries, Dead Ringer in Glendale, Woody's Millions, Plumber's Booty, and Jim and Tammy. Hi, I'm your co-host, Crystal. And I'm your other co-host, Robert. And this is Reenacted, an Unsolved Mysteries podcast. Uh, Crystal, how are you? I'm good. How are you, Robbie? Uh, I don't know. I'm kind of hot. I'm a little little upset because I've been looking at our reviews on iTunes. Mm -hmm. And we got a one-star review. Yeah. And... I don't agree with this even being a review because okay. it was basically someone complaining that they are having difficulty downloading the podcast from iTunes. Yes, it seems I've read that review. It seems like something they should have filed with iTunes tech support rather than as a review of our podcast. <laughs> right, because it doesn't have any reflection on the quality of the product we put out at all. It, 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 well, that's it really because kind they of has me listen. upset. They couldn't figure out how to download it, and clearly that's our fault. Right, right. Um, and I, I'm really kind of surprised that you know they do do they that they care so much that they didn't they didn't get to download this show that they haven't presumably haven't listened to at all yeah. <laughs> that they feel like they have to to leave a negative review. It's just. This is a, a tragedy and a crime, and I don't know if there's a way to get rid of this. Do do maybe should our listeners go and like, because uh, there's a thing that says, was this review helpful? Yes or no? Mm-hmm. Like if it gets voted no a lot, does it just disappear? I, I don't understand yeah, how I do it. Uh, maybe I think the other best better thing to do would be for other folks to leave five star reviews so as to cancel out. That one star review that would be really helpful. Yes, yes, I I think that's also a good strategy. You folks should go do that. And when you're leaving that five star review, also be sure to uh, include your name in the review so you can be entered to win a antiquated coupon from last decade. Well, it's from Hollywood Video. Yes, <laughs> which no longer exists. For, for a product that no longer is put out. Yeah, you, you're not going to be able to use the coupon. It's just a little uh, detritus left over from the 19... Uh, or the mid-aughts, shall we say? Is that what it's called? Aughts? That's what I'm calling it. Okay, well, that's that's better than I got. <laughs> oh. Um. So should we talk about uh, Season 2, Episode 10 of Unsolved Mysteries? Yes, let us talk about that specified episode of Unsolved Mysteries. Okay. <laughs> All right, Dana, let's talk about it. Uh, our, our first one is, is, was it wanted or fraud? I can't remember. It's wanted. With a, but the, the thing that is, they want, are wanted for ends up being insurance fraud. Spoiler. Yes insurance fraud uh so <laughs> <laughs> so uh it opens with a uh with a 911 call actually EMTs are responding to a doctor's office in Glendale, California on the morning of April 16th, 1988. Um and the ambulance pulls up to the doctor's office. There's this, like, what I want to call emergency porno music playing while this happens in the reenactment. <laughs> I don't... It's like if you took, like, some, like, thumping porno music and then put some, like, s- sirens in it. <laughs> that's, that's what I would call this music. Anyway, um... So a man named Melvin Eugene Hansen is visiting uh, his doctor, Dr. Wade Boggs, 
What's the doctor's name? It's not Wade Boggs. <laughs> yeah, it's a baseball I'm pretty player. sure. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, I was about to say that that that's that's a baseball player. Uh, it was. It was some sort of Boggs. Yeah, um, we'll just call him Doctor Boggs because I I wasn't couldn't be bothered to write down his first name. Um, yeah. So well, there's there's yes. there's a lot of names that get thrown around in this uh, segment. Yeah, you so, should. You, yeah. It's going to be hard to keep track. So, um, so Melvin <laughs> Eugene Hansen is the uh, patient of Doctor Boggs, and uh, Melvin's coming in very early in the morning because he'd been complaining of like chest pains and so at about 5 a.m in the morning his doctor agrees to meet him at his office at the doctor's office um let us know if you've ever had a doctor this responsive ever uh in your life because this isn't a real thing so (laughs) um so melvin eugene hansen is there in the doctor's office and in the reenactment dr boggs um is like checking out his heart rate and stuff and he goes in the other room um and then he hears this thud come from the exam room and according to dr boggs he walks in and melvin eugene hansen is dead on the floor um Dr. Boggs then proceeds to call 911, but says that he gets a busy signal and isn't able to get a hold of 911 for like a half an hour. Keep in mind, this is 5 a.m. on like a Tuesday. I don't know. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I don't don't think that's peak 911 call time. Also, I'm like... I don't know how 911 worked in the 80s, but I'm pretty sure like uh, getting a busy signal as if there's only one phone at the dispatch center <laughs> or one phone line. I don't think that's how that works. But anyway, um, also, why is a doctor calling 911? Can't the doctor administer CPR in his office? Like, I don't know what an EMT is going to do when he shows right, up. Right, because the guy didn't... when. When his patient contacted him about having the heart issue, he didn't have the patient go to the hospital. He had him come to his office. Yeah. So presumably he felt like he was qualified to handle such a situation, presumably. Well, well, right. But if your patient says that I'm having trouble with my heart, I think any reasonable doctor would be like, hang up the phone with me and call fucking 911 right now because you're having a problem. I don't. I, I just none of this none of this story makes any sense and unsolved mysteries really doesn't pick it apart in the way that I think that they should but maybe it's a time issue I don't know so eventually in the reenactment the EMTs show up and they're administering CPR but they notice that this um, Melvin Eugene Hansen's body has some signs of rigor mortis which mm-hmm indicate that he had died much earlier than like 5 30 a.m yeah in the reenactment the paramedic gives a real like <laughs> suspicious yes. sideways glance yeah. as he's he as, as he's as he's verbally expressing all the things he's finding on this body it, it's clear that like in his mind he is uh, suspecting that something is up and the the actor who plays the paramedic conveys it beautifully yeah he really he throws dr boggs some massive stank eye as he's going over the body um anyway we get some voiceover information i think from the coroner uh that says the majority of deaths in this county so la county um happen with a physician in attendance so in and of itself just having the doctor there and having the patient die wasn't weird, but having rigor mortis certainly was. Um, so they try to revive Hansen for 30 minutes. They give up, um, but also he has rigor mortis, I guess. I don't know what they were doing anyway. <laughs> so, uh, so the uh, doctor had also said that... Um, Melvin Eugene Hansen had come in for an EKG for in the morning, but then when they looked at the EKG tape, they saw that the last time it had basically been turned on was around midnight. Um, but that's also very suspicious. But nobody really says anything. I just I wonder how long this paramedic was walking around. Like, how many days was he walking around being like that shit did not add up? <laughs> like, do you think he was just suspicious, but kept oh. it to himself for a while? 
Right, right. No, I, I think you're you're correct. And if I recall correctly, uh, a while goes by before this even gets brought up again because it's actually actually the insurance company that mm-hmm. keys he really keys them in that you know something's really amiss. <clears throat> yeah, and and the other strange thing about Melvin Eugene Hansen is that he had his birth certificate on his person, <laughs> but not a photo ID. Weird. Uh. At Crystal, sometimes <laughs> you don't like you lose your photo ID, mm-hmm. and so you you know you you have you have to prove who you are to some person who requires documentation, and if you don't have a, a photo ID, it's either your social security card that got burned in a fireplace, or it's your birth certificate. Yeah, but like like you trying to get in the club with your birth certificate to prove how old you are i don't know why would any, this makes no sense i swear that's my name there on the on the document you have no idea who i am and there's no picture of me but that's me i exist um you know i was i'll get i'll come back to this later but i was thinking when they had to recast this reenactment um the actor that we're led to believe is Melvin Eugene Hansen um, certainly matches the photos of the body that are later shown in the segment. They look pretty similar. But then later on in the segment, there's yet another uh, actor who has a... So if we're keeping track, there are two reenactors that have blonde mullets in this segment. <laughs> And I was thinking yeah. about the casting process for this segment, and I was like, how difficult must it have been in Southern California in the late 1980s to find a couple of guys in their 30s with a blonde mullet? And then I realized you probably could have thrown a rock in any direction and hit one. <laughs> yeah, I was I was initially confused when you just started saying that, because you, you, prim- you premised that, like, how hard must it be? It was like, <laughs> I don't think it's going to be hard at all. I think yeah. I think L.A. was probably lousy with blonde mullets in the right. 1980s. Anyway, I digress. Uh, so at this point of the segment, after the the body suspiciously suspiciously has no ID on him, um, we get some narration from Stack that uh, uh, Boggs was having some money troubles. Um, the birth certificate indicated that Melvin Eugene Hansen was 46 years old. The coroner found that the body looked much younger than 46 years. Um, at this point, Hansen's business partner flies out from Ohio. They owned like a chain of clothing stores or whatever. It doesn't matter. Um, and for some reason, it's Hansen's business partner that's like in charge of dealing with Hansen's remains. Oh, the business partner's name is John Hawkins, if you care about that. Um, so there's a there's a scene where uh, John Hawkins reenactor comes in and is at like the mortuary trying to like in a real hurry to get his uh, business partner's body's ashes scattered. He's like in a real rush about is it. Is there Yeah, is there anything more suspicious? in a death than trying to get the body cremated as quickly as possible in the remains. And then to scatter, it's not just to get, yeah, it's just not just to get it cremated, but to have scatter the ashes. He was, he was one of us. He was a man who loved the outdoors and bowling. And as a surfer, he explored the beaches of Southern California from La Jolla to Leo Carrillo and up to Pismo. Yeah. To yeah. the fucking wind or whatever. Yeah. No. Is there anything more suspicious? I don't know. Again, nothing comes up until the insurance bit later. Um, so at this point, uh, we're told that there's a $1 million life insurance policy that had been taken out on Melvin Eugene Hansen. Mm-hmm. Um, to verify some details about the death, uh, the insurance company calls the Glendale cops. Um at this point, the insurance had, I think, already paid out the policy. I don't know why they were calling the cops, but whatever, if they'd already paid it out. Um, they real At that point, the cops realized that they hadn't compared any photos of the body and, <laughs> and, and who they actually knew to be Melvin Eugene Hansen. 
um, they took some fingerprints off the, for the from the fingerprints they collected at the scene of the body before it was cremated. Um, they ran the fingerprints and found them to belong to a 32-year-old man from North Hollywood named Ellis Henry Green. Uh, so this is our second mullet is coming. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> yeah, you know, what I found interesting in the reenactment they did... Mm-hmm. For this, the guy who's playing the cop who gets contacted by the insurance company is a very bit row. I mean, I don't even think we see the guy's face, mm-hmm. but he subtly does things that help uh, help make an impression. Like we we see him actually write down insurance one million dollars on a notepad, presumably when he's having the conversation with the insurance policy uh, company. And then, like, when he actually gets the two pictures to do a comparison, it's very subtle. But you'll you'll see that, like, when he puts the pictures, two pictures together, he has a pin in one hand. And when, when like, they're put together and it's clear that they're a different person, he momentarily drops the pin on his desk in a way that's obviously meant to show that the, poli- the police inspector he's playing is shocked by the discovery he's just made. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, so the police go back to question after this shocking revelation. They go back to question uh, Dr. Boggs. Um, they found some call logs that Boggs and uh, between Boggs and Hansen's business partner, who's John Hawkins, had occurred. Why would Boggs be calling his deceased patient's business partner, one would wonder. Meanwhile, a man named Wolfgang von Schnowden... Thank you. Thank you, all dear friends, for coming to my birthday! <laughs> <laughs> Which you would think would be unrelated to this, but is not. Uh, is stopped at an airport um, for his obviously fake name. No, that's not why. Uh, he's stopped because he's uh, trying to get through customs with a bunch of undeclared cash. Hmm. Oh, that! Like, he says it, and his reaction is the stereotypical reaction of anyone who, you know, has something on their possession, person found that is clearly, clearly they knew about. And he acts like it's just something that slipped his mind, this bag full of cash. Yeah. I think I think the reenactor says something like, "Well, I just forgot because I just closed this account in Mexico." Mexico, it, yeah. That doesn't make it any less suspicious, bro. So anyway, so Wolfgang von Schnowden gets stopped. Um, they they run his name or something. I don't know what happens, but they open his briefcase, and in the briefcase is a book. IDs. Yeah, IDs. <laughs> but there's also a book. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think perhaps the producers of Unsolved Mysteries took a little liberty with this because it's not mentioned in, in the cop narration of it. There's a book that says New IDs in America. How to create a foolproof new identity. Yeah. The, probably, you know, certainly not the least suspicious title you could possibly have on a book. In a briefcase full of IDs. <laughs> and they find the driver's license for uh, Ellis Henry Green. Now, Robbie, who do you think Wolfgang von Schnowden really is? Uh, the, uh, gosh, there's so many names. The guy who is not Ellis Henry Green. Um, God, what was his name again? Melvin Eugene Hansen. That's right. Melvin Eugene Hansen. It's yes. Melvin uh, Eugene Hansen. Um, so basically, here's what the police put together. That uh, the John Hawkins, Melvin Eugene Hansen, and Dr. Boggs had cooked up this wacky scheme to get a guy drunk um, who looked just enough like Melvin Eugene Boggs, lure him back to the doctor's office. The doctor dispatched of him in some way, made sure he was dead. Uh, before all of this happened, they had taken out a $1 million life insurance policy on Melvin Eugene Hansen. Melvin Eugene Hansen changes his identity, and they set it all up so the body can be depo- disposed of before anyone was the wiser. And you know what the cops said? The cops said this was almost the perfect plan. 
<laughs> and it almost was because they only started doing any police work <laughs> when uh, the insurance company called and and a million dollars was then involved at that point. So uh, they very uh, well could have gotten gotten away with all of this. Um, the local news went to interview Dr. Boggs at some point. I think this was after Melvin Eugene Hansen had been uh, arrested. And Dr. Boggs is like, they didn't even, what, me involved? They didn't even pay their medical bill. This is wacky, wacky doodle stuff. And then we immediately get an update (laughs) that, um, (laughs) that, that Dr. Boggs had been convicted of first degree murder and is serving a life sentence. So I guess the, the police weren't buying the, what, me? No, I had nothing to do with that because he's probably the one that actually murdered poor Ellis Henry. Right, right. No, um. And the, yeah, and the business partner in the clothing industry got like a lesser charge, and he served. He eventually got caught, served his time. Yes, he was, he was he was arrested after five years in Italy. Yeah, yeah, I think he just got a co-conspirator charge for fraud. I don't think he was in, uh, indicated in the murder. Um, right. So I guess the person who was wanted at the end of this segment was. John Hawkins? Uh, because I think they were pretty easily able to find Dr. Boggs in Glendale. Right. They, they just have to go to the nearest baseball game and yes. uh, he'll be playing and, and, whatever position. Yeah, first <laughs> baseman Dr. Wade Boggs. Hey guys, do you like mysteries and urban legends? Do you like creepy stories and unsolved true crime? Then join us every Tuesday and Saturday at Mysteries and Urban Legends and get to the bottom of weird urban legends and spooky mysteries. Um, so I made a decision recently and I started last night. Uh, I'm calling this the Summer of Keanu Reeves. <laughs> And I want to, in anticipation of the Bill and Ted movie, that they're making a third one. I re- oh, yes. I, I realized I hadn't seen the first two Bill and Ted movies, and I thought I was a fan of Keanu Reeves. And I've missed some pretty big chunks of the Keanu Reeves canon, I feel like. Wait, when you say you haven't seen, you mean you haven't seen them at all? I have not seen them. I mean, other Bill than, like, clips? Bill. What happened? Ted? We're dead, dude. Yeah, other than like clips, I've not seen Bill and Ted's oh Excellent Adventure about God. Mystery. Yeah, yeah. So, um, so I wanted to be ready for the third one that's coming out. So I'm going to be watching Bill and Ted's, but there's, all, I mean, you know, we looked it up last night. When I announced my devotion to Keanu Reeves to my boyfriend, um, we looked up his IMDb <laughs> last night, and I'm like, I was just off the top of my head. I was thinking, you know, this guy's been making a movie at least every year for almost 30 years. Mm-hmm. Like, we don't mm-hmm. think about Keanu Reeves that way, but this man is an institution. And so we looked up his IMDb, and he has 96 film credits. It's a lot. That's that's quite a lot, and I've only seen but a fraction of his body of work. So this is the summer of Keanu, and I thought about doing a podcast to document, um, document me watching these Keanu Reeves movies for better or for worse, because I know you know not everything's gonna be you know speed. Not everything's gonna be John Wick. Gonna, mm-hmm. Not everything's going to be Point Break, Robbie. There's going to be some real stinkers in there. Yeah. Uh, gosh, there there are. Um, uh, there's the the the, the Minnesota book uh, movie. Uh huh. Some feeling Minnesota. Sure. Something. That yeah. sounds right. Yeah. <laughs> well, well, cool. I, I yeah. That's, I mean, that's, I don't. Uh, I'm not going to do this because obviously I'm not putting enough time into my first podcast. I'm not going to make this whole second other podcast. But it's a fun fantasy. Yeah, it is a fun fantasy, and it includes <laughs> Keanu Reeves. Also, I started recording again like three and a half minutes ago. 
Okay, cool. Uh, I guess we should get back to okay. the actual show. Then. Should I uh, should I do the segue that I attempted to do? Yeah, sure. Okay. Hey, you know what else you would need to be grippy, get a grip on, have good grips with? <laughs> I, actually, I think I do, and not just because uh, we've already tried performing this bit. Uh-huh. Uh, that would be on a boat, right? You need you, you need, need shoes. You need non-slip grippy boat shoes to be on a boat. Yes, absolutely. I I gather. I mean, I've never actually been on a boat that I know of. Wait, what? Uh, like, me, what do you classify as a boat? Like, what is a boat to you? Um. Well, I mean, I guess I mean you could classify. I mean. Uh, I've been on a raft, like uh, uh, going down a river um, for my job when I worked for the Department of the Interior, mm-hmm. uh, like an inflatable raft sort of type thing. But in terms of like a yacht, well, uh, dude, I've never been on a yacht, but I've been on a boat. Well, you know, a boat with like a, a propeller that, that's spinning, and you know, <laughs> yes, a propeller right on try- the front of it. <laughs> So someone someone's manipulating a wheel and yeah, uh, like, everyone's wearing life jackets. I Robbie, the reason I am so perplexed by this is because you live thirty minutes away from Lake Tahoe, and you're telling me you have never been on a boat ever, and you live. Oh, oh, oh that, wait, wait. I, I I was on the MS Dixie. Okay, that's a boat. You've been on a boat when I was a small kid. Um, so that counts. <laughs> Yeah, I guess I have counts. been on the boat. It's definitely a boat. <laughs> it's a very large boat. <laughs> um, it's a river boat. I don't know if you need boat shoes. You could probably wear some regular old shoes. Well, yeah, that's the thing. I didn't. I, I didn't need any special uh, boat uh, stuff. I mean, yeah. It, hmm. Gosh. We, well, we've really turned this into a boat cast, haven't we? Yeah, it's the boat cast with Robbie and Crystal. So- Except one of us has never been Spe- on a boat, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, yeah. Um, speaking of boats. Oh, uh, yeah. Let's. Oh, are yeah. we still doing the Unsolved Mysteries podcast? I, I guess. All right. Uh, um, we've, uh, yeah. Our next segment actually goes to June of 1985. And it starts out with a reenactment. Actually, before we even get to the reenactment, mm-hmm. um, uh, Robert Stack, in the pre-segment lead-in, says that this is um, it, it's a story about a man who, quote, literally sailed off the face of the earth, mm-hmm. end yeah. quote. Yeah, he went, well, it's really the story of a flat earther. And he just sailed right off the edge of the planet because we live on a dome, not a globe. Yeah. Yeah. I, I you know, it, it, it's so funny. Like, cause I mean, R- Robert Stack says literally sailed off. The literally. Face of the <laughs> that is literally uh, what happened. He just is... escaped the atmosphere <laughs> on his boat. And that's uh, and, He was going with, so with fast. With all his money. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, he went into orbit the I, end of the you segment. Know, like, <laughs> the end. <laughs> the cool, cool story, Robert Stack. <laughs> <laughs> but as it turns out uh our the subject of our segment a guy named woody kelly um was the first man to achieve orbit orbit. (laughs) and unlike all the unlike that fraud moon landing or space program Mm -hmm. he actually left our planet yeah this is real he literally sailed off the face of the earth yeah yeah literally <laughs> sailed off are we being pedants right now with a show that's older than most people listening to this podcast probably but stop saying literally so Pe- goddamn much pedants pedants pet pederas i don't know <laughs> what we're being 
pe- are we being pedantic? Pedantic. Pedantic. Yes, uh, but the the noun of that is pedant. I'm being a pedant. Oh. If I'm I, being I, pedantic, I'm being a pedant. I'm being extra pedantic right now. I'm being super duper. Okay, well, I, I assume you scored higher on the GRE than I did. Um, uh, probably not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, we'll, we'll, have to well Robbie, some... we ended up at the same grad school, so figure it out. <laughs> well, yeah, we're we're in the same range. Um... <laughs> Which was eh, good enough. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Anyways. Uh, so Woody Kelly. This seg- yeah, the segment actually opens up. Um, because this was not a segment about a man who literally sailed off the face of the earth. Instead, this segment opens up with a police officer in a reenactment that, if you didn't have the context for it, would look like basically just an insane police officer yelling at a yacht that's sort of bouncing around in the water off the coast. And he's an, he's he comes out hot. Oh, he is. He is frenzied. He is concerned. He's ripping off his clothing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Which is smart. Totally. You probably like, don't want I mean, to take he, your he swims out yeah, there. Probably don't want to take your cop radio in the water with you. Probably wouldn't work after that. Yeah, I, I have a suspicion that it wouldn't. Yeah, it, it ended up. It would end up just like my uh, iPod. Mm-hmm. I got that wet, like moving a sprinkler around on my front yard. Um, it stopped working. Yeah. Shit. So. It, yeah. it would have been exactly like that. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And so what we get is he goes out to the boat. There's no one on it. So, and, you know, so we're left with this mystery as to uh, what happened to the person who had taken this boat out onto what turns out to have been one of the Great Lakes, right? Cause, I think it's Lake Michigan. Yeah, because we, we had a initial conversation about this segment where i misidentified it as the ocean (laughs) (laughs) which probably is is not a impossible mistake for someone who's never been on a boat to make Mm -hmm. um but yeah so this we 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 tread backwards well i i give you i don't think it's so much that you've never been on a boat i think it's more that you live in the desert that's true i also live in the desert yeah uh, yeah yeah. And, so your glor- your body of water knowledge is understandably not, you know, what it could be if you lived. I know. On oceanfront property in Michigan. Right. Right. <laughs> Much like uh, Mr. Woody Kelly lived on mm-hmm. oceanfront property. Mm-hmm. It, I, I think. Um, uh, we don't establish that really. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I'm just going to go ahead and say he did. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, it's possible one of his two... Res- yes, Woody <laughs> Kelly was a man who got into the field of investments, mm-hmm. which, as we are well aware of in this program, is sometimes a field that has a bit of fraud in it. Mm-hmm. Um, he did rather well in this business, so well that we are treated to this um, cut where we see the house that him and his wife originally lived in. And it was his wife, I believe was raking up leaves or something. Mm-hmm. It's a nice house. Uh, but then we get a cut to like, after it's implied that he's accumulated all this wealth, they were unsolved mysteries refers to it as a mansion, but it just looks to me like a really big house. Mm-hmm. Well, which I guess I'm, I'd say it's much, much larger than probably the homes that you and I grew up in. Uh, yeah, yeah, I, I, I guess maybe like, well, you know, it is two, two story, but I feel like it looks a little more compact than my place, right? Hmm. Like my, my place yeah. is a little more sprawly, but regardless, I it's feel much like large... you're being really judgy about mansions. <laughs> you know, like I... it's not really a mansion unless it's got sprawl. Well, the, the, like okay, this, Mr. The... Moneybags. It has no wings to it. It's just like it's just a big building. It's a like, it's a it, very large, nice. I think like Tudor style house is what I would call it. Right. Yes. I, I think that's actually a pretty good description. Yeah. Uh, um, and the Mr. Kelly was able to pay for all this, including uh, accumulating three more homes, two airplanes, 
four luxury cars and was it like six boats? It was a lot of it was a lot of boats. Yeah. Uh, he was able to accumulate all this because it turns out that the investment business he ran uh, surprisingly was a scam. Yeah. And it was, unlike the It's the old Medford hustle. The Medford hustle. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, promising an outrageous amount of interest. Though he falls a little short of the twenty five percent that our previous uh, business investment fraud people were offering. Mm-hmm. He gives the much more modest sixteen to nineteen percent interest, which is still like an insane amount. Is is it because like he- hear me out okay. i'm 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 gonna be a little more lenient on these fools that gave this con man their money because if you look at like i don't know a 401k over time most of them are paying out like 12 to 15 percent over like a, a 10 to 20 year period not not in the short term but like that's that would be a solid investment. So I can understand if it a little higher than that might like for the most seasoned investor, of course, he's not getting their money, but for your average person, they're like, well, it's going to be a little better return than my 401k. Why not give them some cash? You know, I don't think he's saying anything so outlandish and the whole way they portray this or all the folks they interviewed that had invested with Woody Kelly, they made him sound like he was kind of hard to get. He was kind of like, well, you can invest or not, but, you know, I'm not going to give you a hard sell here. You can. Oh, yeah. yeah. He, he was totally the light touch. Yeah. I mean, yeah, no, no pressure. And like one one of the victims they interviewed was apparently was just like really impressed by the su- substantial size of his office and the number of office staff he had. Mm-hmm. So did you notice yeah. in the reenactment there was a lot of like nautical stuff on the office walls? Oh my god, I I I totally missed that. There, there was, was like a ship wheel, and then there was like pictures of <laughs> like boats and stuff. Oh, I uh, I'll have to like go back and screenshot that and put it on our uh, social media stuff. Um, <laughs> that sounds amazing. Uh, and then like, but yeah, you're right. Like people, they they fell for it. He was very easy to, to like. Uh, one woman gave him like what was it a hundred thousand dollars? I misidentified this woman as his secretary in a conversation we had earlier, mm-hmm. and you were confused because you don't you didn't remember them interviewing his secretary. Mm-hmm. And as it turned out, um, uh, it was not his secretary. Which uh, I guess I just fell into instinct and believing because it seems like all our previous con guys have also swindled their secretaries. Um, yeah, you don't, you know, I mean, here's and the argument that I would make in favor of, it's like, what do you do? You think, oh, they're taking advantage of their secretary, but in order to keep the con up, you can't go to have your secretary say, hey, I want in on the action and then tell right. them, no, 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 honey, this is all fake. <laughs> like, you can't <laughs> do that. So you have to let them in at a certain level. To keep up yeah. the ruse if, if they approach you. I feel like that's an essential part of the con. Right, right. right. Yeah, I mean, not not that the, these sort of people probably would have much moral quandaries about this anyway. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, you, you can't not con your secretary with these bad investments. Do you feel because... like with every boat that he purchased, he just lost a little bit more of himself? Oh, like he like couldn't, you you know, know, it's like, it's like with a heroin addict, like with every time they shoot up, every time they lie to their relatives and all of that, it's like, do you think it's the same thing, but with boats with him? Maybe it was like, and maybe that's what happened to him. Cause like what eventually his eventual fate is he, he shows up at a boat selling place. Yeah. And he's like, takes, He's real, real sweaty, and he's itching his hands, and he's like, "Gotta, I gotta, t- I gotta test drive that boat." And they're like, "Sir, you know the policy; you can't test drive a boat on the lake alone." And he's I'm like, "I'm test driving the boat anyway. I need to test drive it now." And yeah, he takes uh, in clear violation of this company's policy. I'm assuming yeah. like the guy who worked there probably didn't feel himself senior enough to really stop this 
man who has probably bought multiple boats from them in the past. Yeah. But yeah, he takes the boat out and disappears. Yeah, that worker was not going to cut off his boat supply. No. He, no, no. He, uh, yeah, uh, Woody Kelly disappears uh, off literally off the face of the earth. Um, <laughs> off the face of the earth. I, do, do you think he like jumped off the boat because he was so despondent about how deep he had gotten into his boat habit that he just wanted to end it all? Uh, I think that's a possibility. <laughs> I... Um, one of the things they float in Unsolved Mysteries after they establish he, in fact, literally did not take sail off the face of the earth um, is they think maybe he knew he was in trouble and he had an accomplice come in with another boat or a helicopter to kind of mm-hmm. like whisk him away from all his problems because cause it, it sounded like he wasn't in legal trouble yet, but he was he knew that the writing was on the wall for his right. investment scheme. And um, well, those investment schemes only have like a certain longevity anyway, because eventually the first investors are going to want to see some sort of return. Right. Right. I mean, I don't know how they caught Bernie Madoff, but it was probably something like that. So, yeah, Um, you know, I I, want to get back to Woody Kelly in a a second, but I was thinking about Bernie Madoff just now. And uh Do you feel like his last name was just too on the nose? Oh my god. I uh I never thought about his last name, but you make a good point. He made off with a lot of money. I don't feel like that joke was made enough at the time. I don't remember that joke being made at all. Did I you don't just either. think of that on your own? It's impossible. That's impossible that I thought of that on my own. There's no way. I absorbed that from somewhere. But I just feel like that was that should have been the obvious pun that everyone went for, and I don't feel like I heard it enough back in, like, 2009 or whenever that was happening. Yeah, it's kind of... I guess it's not... It doesn't jump out at you like it would, like, if you're talking about um, uh, someone in the Army who's a really... You know, a commissioned officer who's a really big jerk, and you, you know, his name happened to be Major Dick or something. Yeah. But uh, it's it's there, it's there, made off. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. For for yeah, totally appropriate for a man who did the Medford hustle on a scale that no sports enthusiast has ever contemplated doing. Yeah. Um. um... It makes me wonder, though, other than, like, planes and boats, where he was dumping the money. Unless, maybe it's, like, an offshore, like, off the Probably, sh- like, yeah. Off the shore of uh, Illinois. Uh, but he had some bank accounts. <laughs> uh, possibly. Uh, or, or perhaps, uh, perhaps this money is just beyond the realm of... Uh, a man's ability to travel beyond our flat planet. Um, yeah, it's possible he went into like another dimension. Yeah. Uh, I actually have my own theory that I've kind of constructed as to what happened to Mr. Okay. Kelly. Okay. I, I think like what happened was some sort of overboard scenario. Mm-hmm. So, so, I mean, you, you mean like the movie with Goldie Hawn over- and Kurt Russell? Board with, um, go Yes. Uh, perhaps he, you know, he 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 fell off his boat because he wasn't wearing the special boat shoes mm-hmm. that uh, you apparently have to have while yep. on a boat. Got to wear I wouldn't shoes. Yeah. Yeah. And he, you know, he fell in the water. Uh, got the amnesia. One of his former victims found him mm-hmm. and decided that they were going to get their money back in the same way Kurt Russell gets his money back from Goaty Han by having uh, Mr. Kelly. Uh, take on the uh, become a substitute for the now deceased mother of the family, doing all the chores and, and work, and you know that, that that's that's how uh, that's what happened. And uh, I'm not sure how we could shoehorn lost loves into this, but. Um, Maybe, you know, maybe, like, the love between a man and a boat. Mm, it's That's the most sacred love. 
Yes. Uh, I wouldn't know. I live in the desert. <laughs> well, it's, maybe it's because you haven't found the right boat yet. <laughs> Don't patronize me like that. I live in the desert. Oh, <laughs> uh, we should move on. Um, to yes, uh, to let's, the, let's talk about c- c- the treasure segment. Um, Montana eight- gold. Montana gold. Um, 1863 was one of the bloodiest summers in Montana history. I believe this segment to also be the bloodiest segment that has been on Unsolved Mysteries to this point. Um, so, Certainly the highest body count. Yeah. Uh, well, we'll get to that. So uh, in 1863, gold was discovered in Alder Gulch, Montana. This is well before Montana is a state, so it's Montana Territories. Um, we get a really lovely intro. Uh, well, the first thing I should mention, actually, is we get an opening from Robert Stack, who's wearing his action jacket in uh, a location called Western Town. Um, and I recognize the location that Stack is giving the intro from because I went and visited it by pure coincidence, uh, about a month ago. Um, uh, not too long ago. Not too long ago. No, uh, it's this really cool area. It's part of, I think it's the, like the Santa Monica mountains state park. Um, there's an area within the state park called Paramount Ranch. And within that area is a recreation like a fully built out uh movie and tv set of an old west town so um that's where robert stack is the town looks a little different now because they repaint and change things around depending on what they're filming there do the buildings have like interiors to them kind of (laughs) okay it's that really weird like fourth wall missing you know, like they'll it'll be like an old west town, but then they'll if you look up in the ceiling, I didn't get to go in any of the buildings. I just kind of stuck my head in a window, but yeah. you'll see that there's like, uh, it'll be like an old saloon, but then if you look up at the ceiling, there'll be like um, a bunch of hooks and stuff to hang a big uh, spotlights and stuff like movie lighting. So it's got sort of modern amenities. <laughs> tucked into but it's not like a functioning town or anything it's not like virginia city by where you live it's it's explicitly built as a movie set so virginia city isn't even a functioning town really (laughs) (laughs) oh shots fired (laughs) oh boy that's uncomfortable um well i guess Uh, and you've and you've probably seen Western Town most recently. I think it served as the ta- town of Escalante and uh, Westworld. If anybody's watching that, um, the news. So, yes. So in the in the stack segment, is he a host or? <laughs> <laughs> um, I think we get to find out if Stack is a host or a guest in season three of Unsolved Mysteries. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I haven't even watched Westworld. <laughs> I, I think I think Stack might be a real Arnold or Bernard situation, if you know what I mean, out there, Westworld people. My God, I'm Arnold. Actually, don't watch the show; it's not very good. Um, but <laughs> if you do, if you want to go visit um, a really cool thing, and you happen to be in sort of the Malibu, Santa, Mo- Santa Monica, greater LA area. It's a really beautiful ranch. Um, you've seen it in a million movies and TV shows. So I highly recommend a visit. Anyway, so that's where Stack is in his leather jacket. Um, and he's, you know, <laughs> I know that we're going to see Western town several more times as we have these like old timey segments. I know it's going to come back. Uh, so anyway, so that's where Stack is. Um, to introduce the legend of the Alder Gulch Gold, we get a man named Dick Pace of Virginia City, Montana, which is different than the Virginia City that Robbie just took a shot at. Um, <laughs> he's a historian, and he tells hey, us... Hey, they started yes, it. They call us Flatlanders. They do call us Flatlanders. This is this yeah. is like not even a one percenter. This is a point oh two percenter for our listeners from... From the Virginia City Dayton feud. Yes, the Virginia City lowland. Anyway, we need to move on from this. Sorry, sorry. This beef that you have with Virginia City. 
Um, back in 1863, as Dick Pace explains, there were these road agent gangs that basically figured out that during a gold rush, it was a lot more lucrative to rob the miners and the transports of the gold than to actually go mine the gold themselves, which is true. It probably was a lot less work to just steal it once it had been pulled out of the ground. Um, and Makes that. Sense. And that at the head of one of these gangs was a man named Henry Plummer. Uh, Henry Plummer had also recently been elected sheriff of Bannock, Montana, which was a town uh, out on the range. Um, What the good people of Bannock, Montana did not realize before they elected Henry Plummer to be sheriff is that four years prior, he had been uh, released from the recently built San Quentin prison in California. Uh, but Henry Plummer was a real gentleman and charmer, and we get a reenactment where he is walking down the street and tipping his hat to every lady that he sees. So, I mean, he looks kind of like a robot <laughs> in this reenactment <laughs> because he's just like consistently tipping his hat. Robbie, yeah, I don't like how they just set all the host up to just walk. Yeah, the street. But, like they're not doing anything but just walking up and down the street. Yeah, I think they should have worked on their 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 story a little bit more before they uh, yeah. set, set Henry Plummer <laughs> loose and Westworld slash Bannock, Montana. Um, so the story goes that this road agent gang that Henry Plummer was the uh, head of. Um, had within that summer uh, attacked and killed 120 miners and stole $6 million worth of gold. I assume that's $6 million in 1980s money, not 1860s money. Um, still, that's not, a pal- that's not a small sum. Um, so the, t- the people of Bannock, Montana, they, they realize after this one kid rolls back into town, mutilated or whatever, they're like, we've had it, we're forming a posse. We're doing a vigilante thing, and then they show this posse. I feel like no expense was spared in the reenactment, by the way. I really got a sense of, like, Old West Town. They show the vigilantes on horses, and they're these guys know how to ride. Whoever they, whoever the reenactors are, are going really fast. Oh, yeah, totally. Um, It was totally believable. Uh. So this posse is just round, rounding up whoever they can that they assume is associated with the road agent gang. Uh, at some point, they have hanged uh, without trial, by the way. They, Unsolved Mysteries just kind of breezes past that one. They were like, they're dealing out rough justice. And it's like, <laughs> yeah, that's still maybe they should have, like, uh, due process wasn't a thing, I guess. Okay, anyway, 1860s Montana, here we go. Uh, the vigilantes end up hanging 22 men, finally... <clears throat> someone names the sheriff you know he's got the noose around his neck and he says you know if you're gonna hang anyone you should be hanging that henry Plummer." and i find it interesting mm. that the 21 men before that hadn't mentioned his name good point just saying okay moving on so uh we get uh so they find henry Plummer. Again, no trial whatsoever. And in the reenactment, they have uh, Plummer strung up. And and, uh, in the reenactment, Stack mentions that they hung Plummer on the gallows, which he oversaw the building of as sheriff. So it's a bit of, I don't, is that irony? Is that the definition of irony? I, I, well, I don't know if it's the textbook definition of irony, but I certainly find it ironic. It. It feels ironic. Yeah. Um, That's some great irony there. At this point, I have noticed in the segment that the mustaches of the 1860s and the 1980s have a lot in common. <laughs> uh, so while... They just sort of uh, came full circle. Yeah, I was like, hmm, they probably didn't have to do like a lot of styling for these reenactors of the 1860s. Because they have long hair and weird, gross mustaches. <laughs> Like, I mean, they just look like everybody's grandpa did in the 80s. So so basically, your grandchildren or great-grandchildren will prob- probably, probably look like that as well. Yeah, I mean, if things go cyclical like they usually do. it's all, yeah. I, mean, I, I mean, there's plenty of hipsters in Silver Lake that have these weird handlebar mustaches. Right, right, exactly. <laughs> um, and anyhow... 
Uh, so Plumber, while he's on the gallows, he's actually not on the gallows. He's actually sitting on the back of a horse with a noose around his neck. So this is, again, confusing. But he tells the posse, you know, if you give me two hours on a horse, I'll take you to all the gold. And they're like, yeah, 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 Plumber, we've, we've heard it all before. And then so they hang him. So you get two full hangings in this segment, at least on camera. Um, and then almost immediately after, and I'm going to assume there was somebody standing uh, around watching Plumber get hanged that just like slowly started backing away from the scene as soon as they heard <laughs> there was gold and then quietly got on their horse and then just like went into the hills. I'm going to assume it was like immediately afterwards they start looking for the gold. Um, over the years, uh, the legend grew. There's been various prospectors out there um, trying to find Henry Plummer's gold. Uh, around 1900 in the town of Ennis, uh, two prospectors brought in a large iron box and, and asked to keep it in a vault overnight in a store. And then they left the next morning, the end. And <laughs> that, uh, oh, and then there's a, there's a couple more guys in modern day treasure hunters. And basically all they say at the end of the segment is like, we're looking for it. And that was it. Yeah. <laughs> That's the whole story. Yeah. Like, yeah, it's it's if you if you like watching people waste away their lives trying to look for treasure, it doesn't. You only get sort of a a, a vague taste of that. But yeah. as a historical period piece segment, it's pretty good. I I. It's pretty brutal too. Um, I think Unsolved Mysteries has been pretty. Even when they do the hangings, they zoom out. It's not gory or anything like that. But considering what a violent time it was uh and i i went on i don't want to get because we're not supposed to do the r word the research word i went on wikipedia just right before we started recording and started looking up what uh, well wikipedia doesn't really count as research (laughs) i guess not but uh the wikipedia author or authors had a very different tale to tell about henry Plummer, um and that him, him being named and then him being executed might have been all politically motivated since he was the sheriff and that the head of the vigilante gang or the vigilante posse uh, had different um, political inclinations during that time, which was around the Civil War. So uh, take of that what you will. There might not even have been a Henry Plummer gang and he might not have had any gold. Yeah. None of this yeah. is could be real. Anyway, I I thought it was a fabulous reenactment. What about you, Robbie? Yeah, no, it, it was great. It was. I mean, it definitely held my interest. Um, you know, uh, I, I I think as period pieces do most of the time in the show, even if it's like a topic that I'm not particularly interested in. Um, though it was again, I just can't get over like. Yeah, I know they they only had so much time to film the scene of him walking down the the town, but did they literally have to have the whole, like, town population, you know, right in front of him so he could tip his hat, like, every, I don't know. But, yeah, it's it's a great segment. Uh, Fun to, you know, speculate on the treasure. I give it a thumb up. (laughs) Just one, huh? Well, I, 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 am I limited? Uh, one out of one, or I could say a hundred thumbs up out of a hundred, if if you prefer. Well, I mean, no, what's, I wouldn't... what's the sound of a hundred thumbs upping? Uh, I, sus- I suspect it's probably like a slight. Um, Gosh, how do you describe that sound? It's it's sort of like I guess the sound. Would it be like? Wait, <laughs> can you hear that? Yeah, I can. Yes, actually, <laughs> actually, I I think that's basically the sound that I I uh, imagined in my mind. So yes. Okay, uh, I'm gonna cut all of that. That was stupid. Um... <laughs> Want to talk, anyway, do you want to talk about our lost love segment? It's the final segment of the show, and there's, there's, I don't feel like there's much to say here. Yes, yes. Let's talk about the lost love segment. So there was a 13 year old girl named Leanne Robinson in 1971. 
her mother unfortunately passed away, and she was separated from her two half siblings, Jimmy and Tammy. Mm-hmm. And so they got placed in different homes because Jimmy and Tammy's father was it their father? Um. Well, it was Le- raised them, or was it? It was Leanne. Leanne's father who wanted to raise her. Yeah, it was Leanne's father who wanted her back. I guess the the younger kids, it's implied they had a different father who's not, like not mentioned or anywhere to be right. found, I guess. Because yeah. it was the, you know, the 70s and 80s and no one knew where their dad was. So anyway. Um, so, yeah, so they, they got adopted by a really nice Catholic, young Catholic family. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, they eventually get reunited. Uh, because of the show because of the show and it, I, it, I don't know about you but it often seems to me that like the lost love uh segments like when the when they get solved it's almost always the night of the broadcast yeah and i guess in this situation leanne the older sister was was at the call center waiting just in case for one of for for a call so if somebody yeah, said they I, knew her siblings or would recognize them but what ended up happening is her younger sister was watching the broadcast called in and that evening got to speak to her older sister for the first time in 18 years right yeah right so it's pretty cool but like you know with our our modern sensibilities it's like you know this poor woman had to wait for 18 years and a television show to get answers with what we can do on Facebook in 20 minutes. If that, yeah. if it takes that much time. Right. Um, right. So I, I think, you know, people want to like trash on social media or whatever, but can, but consider just for a moment, if you had some long lost relative out there or friend or whatever, you know, I know we're all lamenting about like who gives a shit, what our friends from high school are like making for dinner. Like we don't need that level of detail, but certainly um, you can't deny the usefulness of, of reconnecting people who do want to be in each other's lives, but have been separated by time and distance and paperwork and whatever else so i mean but mm-hmm. like fuck mark zuckerberg also <laughs> Ooh, it's taking a, a, a strong strong well, anti-zuckerberg um so. yeah fuck zuck <laughs> and, well, but well yeah he, he did make he did make a good tool in some sense so what, what was it him who made it or was it the winklevoss twins I did not see that movie, so... Okay, never mind. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so um, we have a happy re- family reunion. Um, yeah, so I... Yeah, there, there really wasn't much to it. No no, no real reenactment things other than her, like, bringing a meal to her dying mother. Yeah, so. that's kind of a... Well, I mean, it was a huge bummer. It's a huge bummer that, like, where the fuck was Jim and Tammy's dad? Um there's also a neighbor lady that has children. There's no father in the picture. And um, just like, where were the dads? Where are the dads? Where's your dad? If you know where your dad is, raise your hand, listeners. The sound of like no hands. No being hands raised. being raised. Uh, so anyway, um, Robbie, if people want to uh, write to us, um, or if they want some dank memes, what should they do? They should find us on either Twitter or Facebook. We're at Reenacted Pod. Uh, we also have a uh, email address, which I believe is it's it's the same thing, right? ReenactedPod at gmail dot com. Am I getting that right? You are getting that correct. Yeah, uh, we have got. We have been contacted by all of those uh, 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 through all of those methods. Um, you can, if, particularly if you go on Twitter, we have a pretty active community. You can interact with other rumpers, um, and uh, be sure to leave us a five star review. Uh, the that that coupon is uh, still out there. So yeah. So the rule is, when we make it to twenty five star reviews, we're gonna put all the names of all the reviewers in a hat and draw one winner and then we'll announce it on the podcast. And then it's your job to get in touch with us to tell us where to send the autographed Hollywood coupon $1 off from, (laughs) from what was it? 
it was the, some... the, the Twilight Zone radio <laughs> That's dramas. Right. $1 <laughs> off Twilight Zone radio dramas can be yours if you leave us a review. Um, and I also, again, I just want to thank everybody who's who's been sticking with us. Um, this, this pod is a lot of work. I know we don't sound the most professional sometimes, but considering uh, neither one of us are professional entertainers um, or audio engineers, um, we, we really appreciate you sticking by us when we have technical difficulties as happens from time to time. Um, so I love you and I hope you can find your dads and I think that's probably it, right, Robbie? Uh, yes. So uh, before we go on that 20-minute dad rant, I'll just uh, say, uh, give us our, our sign-off. Okay. For every mystery, there is someone, somewhere, who knows the truth. Perhaps it's you. <laughs> <laughs>